Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Katherine Miller. Divorce Dialogues brings expert guests to the airways to talk through your divorce questions and fill in the gray areas about separating. From thinking about divorce, to how to behave during divorce, to what to do after, this is Divorce Dialogues. Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Catherine Miller. I'm the founder at the Miller Law Group and director at the Center for Understanding in Conflict, and I am on a mission to change how people divorce and help them divorce with dignity. And my guest today is Deborah Doak. She's a CDC-certified divorce coach, a certified divorce financial analyst, an Ohio Supreme Court-trained mediator and author of High Conflict Divorce for Women. She loves giving women the confidence they need to speak up in their relationships or at the negotiating table. And she specializes in working with women to help them make hard decisions about their marriages, money, and divorce. Welcome, Deborah Doak. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Oh, it's such a pleasure to be here, Catherine. Thanks for having me. You know, and I think one of the things that's happening a lot these days, and maybe all days, is that people are wondering if their marriage is bad enough to call it quits or if it's how should they know and what should they expect? And, you know, and before you answer that question, you know, one of my favorite anecdotes is that Margaret Mead was asked at the end of her life how she felt about having three failed marriages. And she had three marriages that had ended in divorce. And she responded that she didn't have any failed marriages. She had, in her view, three marriages that ran their course and came to their natural end. And so how do people know when that's happened? When do you know your marriage is over, not because someone has necessarily done anything wrong, but just because it's done? Right. Well, you know, that's probably the number one question I get from clients. Is it over? And if it is over, how will I know? And it's never an easy answer. The one thing I do tell them is when it's time, you will know. There's a moment that comes over you where all of a sudden you will have clarity that today's the day. But there are some signs that lead up to that that I think um, anyone that works in the field of divorce is familiar with, right? So things like as a couple, you no longer have interest in resolving your conflicts, You're not even talking about them. Like, you just don't care. You're not having any shared decision-making anymore. I just got off the phone with a client who they just can't even discuss decisions anymore at all. They can't share them. There's a researcher named John Gottman who does a lot of marriage work. He talks about negative sentiment override. That's when the couple simply doesn't even notice the positive things going on in their relationship anymore. Everything just feels negative. Um, And when you ask them about, how did you meet? Tell me about your relationship. They've actually rewritten the history so it feels more negative (laughs) and it doesn't feel positive. They don't even remember the positive parts of the beginning of their relationship. So when you start looking at all those things together, that's kind of giving you a clue that your relationship is kind of heading toward the end, right? And what happens? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's really interesting because I have a theory. And my theory is that the reason that a couple gets divorced showed up on their first date most of the time. They just sort of like they disregarded it. But that same thing you could point to at first date where you're like, that's it. That thing that happened on our first date is the reason we're getting divorced. But it's interesting in this negative sentiment override, you have a kind of a positive sentiment override in the beginning. It doesn't matter. 
Oh, because you're so, you know, you're so chatty or you're so outgoing or you're so beautiful or you're so sexy or whatever it is. What do you think about that? Oh, I totally agree because hormones, you know, and then we have all (laughs) those positive feelings and all that oxytocin is coursing through our body and everything feels wonderful. But you're exactly right. It's those same traits that, you know, I can't stand how he breathes. That at the end, you hear people saying that, um, but I agree with you entirely. Lots of times it is the exact same thing. It was visible in the beginning, um, and we chose not to look at it or we stepped over it or um, somehow we've grown and become healthier, and that just doesn't work for us anymore. And well, sometimes know, it's I even just, like an attractive thing. Like I'm a really quiet person, say, you know, and I was really attracted to how chatty you are. And that lasted for a while. And now your, your chattiness drives me freaking crazy. Aren't you ever quiet for a second? <laughs> right. Right. Girl needs some space. So, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I think when that turns from, boy, that's a little bit annoying to this really isn't going to work for us as a couple at all is when some of those other things start to happen. We're not even interested in resolving conflict. We're just roommates. We pass like two ships in the night. If you have children, all you talk about is who needs to be picked up when, right? You don't have conversations about dreams or, you know, what promotion you're working toward, what's going on with your friends. It's simply transactional. And so many of my clients describe that is there something, Deborah Doug, that people can do to kind of head that off at the past? And they say, okay, we're sort of living this parallel life thing, and I want to do something different. Do you think it's inevitable, or there's some work that can be done to change it? So one of the things I will work with clients on if they want to have a shred of hope is setting up a process where each of them, now I will only work with one client or the other, but I encourage them to think about what five things would it take right now to make you 20% happier in the marriage or 10% happier in the marriage and try to come up with, you know, we've all heard of SMART goals, right, things that are measurable, actionable, and specific. What five specific things could your spouse do to make you 10% happier? And meet weekly and talk about how that's going. Ask them to commit to do those things for you. So I had a client who was frustrated. Her husband was never home. He always worked. They had no family time. She felt neglected. So she asked him, would you be willing to commit to be home two nights a week by 630 so we could have dinner together? Specific, measurable, actionable. So they worked on five things for him and five things for her for a series of three months. And by showing each other, they were willing to actually meet each other's needs they started to turn toward each other again. So it literally did make a bit of a difference. You know, because so many times I speak to marriage and family therapists and they say that most people go to to couples counseling when it's too late. One person is just so done. And so I would think that it would be important to do this before Mm -hmm. you reach that absolutely that's it, it's over. I don't think there's a coming back from that it's over phase emotionally. Not what do you no, think? not once you get to that, once you get to that negative sentiment override, you're going to really have a hard time busting through that. Yeah. And what about when yeah. it just seems like apathetic? You just don't care. Like, you know, it's not that you're angry all the time, but you're just, you're nothing all the time. 
you're just nothing all the time. And that's, that's when I talk to clients where they're in that phase and they come to me and they say, should I stay or go? I don't know. And that's when we talk about, you know, if you're not sure, let's go to your partner and find out if you are with a person who is or is not willing to try to meet your needs. Have you specifically and clearly told them what you're looking for? This is what I need you to do. Because if you're with someone who is at least willing to try to meet your needs, it might be worth what I call waiting with intention, hanging around for a little while longer to keep working on articulating, this is what I need from you. This is what my core relationship needs are. Or you might find by having that conversation with them that they have no interest in changing or doing things to meet your need. And then you have your answer. Yeah, I mean, I've spoken to so many people who've said to me, you know, I knew things weren't good in our marriage, but I didn't think they were that bad, you know, when their mm-hmm. spouse is choosing to end the marriage. And, you know, what do you think, Ever Doug, about that dynamic? You know, it wasn't great, but it wasn't that bad. <laughs> Denial. Denial. Yeah. It was that bad. You weren't listening to your partner is what I would say. Yeah, and you probably weren't getting your needs met either, but you were distracted by the kids or by work or, or something like that, something else or something going on in the front of your mind. Or maybe you didn't think you were worthy of asking for more. You deserve more yeah. than that, too. Yeah, and that's often what you I know? say to them is it, you will be happier. If your spouse was not happy being married to you, you could not possibly have been happy Mm-mm. being married to that. can't have been a vibrant relationship. No, maybe you just didn't know what's available to you. I'm Catherine Miller. This is Divorce Dialogues. We're here on WVOX 1460 AM every other Wednesday from 5 to 5.30. And we're also available as a podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud and all podcast apps, as well as on the podcast website, www.divorcedialogues.com. And I'm talking today with Deborah Doak about, well, about your marriage expiration date and what to know before it happens and, and what to do. And, you know, a lot of times I think, Deborah Doak, people are worried that they can't afford to leave or it would be terrible for the children if they left. So what do you say to people who are afraid to leave? So the first thing I always do is say, let's identify what those fears are. So what actually are you afraid of? And so we'll start off with, I'll give you an example of a client I worked with. She said, I'm afraid divorce will hurt my kids. And I said, why? She said, well, I'm afraid I won't be able to give them the same things. So I ask a lot of why and what then. I won't be able to afford to give them the same things. Okay, well, what would happen then? Well, they would resent me for the divorce. Why would that be? Well, I know their dad will buy them cool stuff and tech gadgets and vacations, and I won't be able to afford that, and so they're going to like him better. And so I said, well, what then? She said, well, then I guess I'll feel really rejected because he left me for another woman. And then if my kids like him better, that will feel like another rejection. So I say, aha, the fear isn't that divorce will hurt her kids. The real fear is that she's going to feel inadequate and rejected. So we have to, first of all, really dig in and see what is the real fear we're dealing with. And then if what they have are financial, yeah, and if what they have are financial fears, then what we have to do is investigate. So again, let's find out what are your family finances? What assets and debts are on the table to be divided? What does your budget look like? Let's ask the questions. What 
might your life look like post-divorce? Let's put those numbers in a spreadsheet and look at it because we can hit something if we know what we're aiming at. So I just went through this with a client who thought there was no way she could ever afford to leave. And when we finally put all the numbers after consulting with an attorney to find out what the range might be for spousal support and child support, we found out really that the deficit in her monthly budget was $1,000. So we said, you know what that means? That means you need to earn $250 a week. She said, that is so doable. I can do that. Now I know what my goal is and I can achieve that. So we've got to look at the facts before we decide we can't do it. You know, I think I, what I love what, you, what you're saying is, is you're breaking it down because I think the whole divorce thing, especially when, when you are not the person deciding to divorce and it just feels like this sort of tsunami of worry and things you don't know about and anger and sadness and anxiety just kind of comes crashing down on your head and it's really hard to know what to do to get yourself out of it. And so when you break it down like that, the way you're doing it, and I love the training that you've got both, you know, on the coaching side and on the financial side to basically say, okay, let's sort through the emotions so we can actually address the problem, I think is what you're saying is, is how you're working with people. Is that accurate? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Because if we can identify, challenge, and reframe those fears, then we can kind of clear that out of the way. And now we can get down to, so I kind of call it, I'm actually working on another new book called Ditch Your Divorce Fears. And ditch is an acronym that I use for these five steps which is decide, and that has to do with addressing your fears, investigate, which is let's find out about divorce law, custody, finances. Then there's team up. Who do you need to have on your team, right? What professionals, a coach, an attorney, a CDFA, campaign, which is being your own best advocate. What do you need to learn how to speak up assertively and negotiate? And then hope, talking about life after divorce. You may not have had dreams for yourself for a long time, Let's stay focused on the fact that you are going to get through this and you are going to have a chance to actually decide what you want to do with your life. So those are kind of the five steps I take people through. Oh, I think that's really great. And I think that it's really interesting how I think it's in your decide step. Like just looking inside yourself is something that really people often don't do. They just, they feel very sad and overwhelmed and angry, but that's not really thinking about where am I in this? You know, where is the person I want to be and what am I going to do about that? Right. What am I going to do about that? And what are the possibilities here after this, right? So this is happening. I can't change it, but what could be better? So in my old life, I had all this tension. Now I could have peace. In my old life, I had a bunch of self-doubt. Now I can have self-confidence, right? In my old life, I had fear. Now I can have personal power and self-reliance. So it's also helping them think through those things. Like, yes, you are letting go of something, but you could actually be picking up something that's much more valuable and fulfilling. Yeah. You know, I always think and say that divorce is at, at, at an intersection between what was and what will be. And if mm -hmm. you think about it and you plan and map it out, 
you can get where you want to go, even if it seems hard, if you look yes. forward. But if you look backward and you're just in reaction all the time, then that mm-hmm. makes that's really hard to get where you want to go if you're walking backwards. <laughs> that's what I think. Exactly. I talk about the fact that they're wearing gray colored glasses, right? If you've been living in unhappiness and dysfunction for years or decades, you can be wearing these gray colored glasses where it's really hard for you to imagine something better. And so that's kind of our job. I know you probably do that with clients. I do that with clients to kind of help bring them along to to take those gray colored glasses off and help them see that it really could be better. Yeah, even if it's not rosy, at least it's not gray. (laughs) Right. Even if it's hard, that doesn't mean that it's bad. Hard does not equal bad. Yeah. Yeah. I'm Catherine Miller. This is Divorce Dialogues. We're here on WVX 1460 AM every other Wednesday from 5 to 5.30. And we're also available as a podcast. And I'm talking today with Deborah Doak. She's a certified divorce coach and a certified divorce financial analyst. And Deborah, if people want to find out more about you or your books, how can they do that? They can visit me right on my website at DebraDoak.com. That's D-E-B-R-A-D-O-A-K.com. That's great. I know you work a lot with women and you used this word just a minute or two ago about self-reliance. And I think it's a really important word for all people, but especially for women in this day and age to really be thinking about, you know, we we sort of grew up with this kind of like, I don't know, uh, Prince Charming, you know, rescued princess Mm -hmm. story. And there's this idea that somehow or other someone's going to, and you know, I think it's a cultural idea, and I don't want to lay this at any one particular woman or women's feet, but there's this idea that someone's going to take care of me, and giving that up seems sometimes so hard for people. What do you think about that? Oh, I think it is really hard, and um, you tell me if you run into this. One of the things I have a really hard time with helping clients through is he cheated on me. And so now we're getting divorced and I want the court to meet out some emotional justice for me because I'm going to have to do with less. And so that plays into that storyline, right, of my Prince Charming is supposed to take care of me. Now what will I do? Well, I should get more. And it's just this whole weird story that we have to help them untangle and say, that was the old way. And now we're going to create a new way where you're no longer dependent and afraid but you're going to be confident and self-reliant and we're going to help you get there. And it's going to feel yes. better when you're responsible for yourself. You're absolutely going to be so excited about this personal power you have. When you step into it, you absolutely are going to love it. But I know it's going to take a while for you to get there. Or to even see that that's something you're going to love. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Like some exactly. people, you know, can, can see that that would be great. I want to be self-reliant. Then some people don't. Some people are just like, I don't, I just, I can't see that happening. I don't see why that's good. Isn't it better if someone just takes care of me? Right. I love to, to work with my clients actually to not date for a little bit until they have their own power established so that they don't just try to go out and look for another Prince Charming so that they can actually be really self-reliant and powerful before they decide to get into another relationship. And I know that that is not always a popular opinion, but I like them to be standing on their own and separate and complete and feeling all that power. 
before they go into another Because otherwise, I think there's a real risk of just recreating the exact same thing except worse. Agreed. So another Agreed. thing about self-reliance is sometimes people will say to me, well, you know, I'm getting divorced and I have this job opportunity. You know, should I take it or should I uh, just appear to be more dependent? And I have a perspective on that, but I'm curious, Deborah Duke, what yours is. I want someone to be self-reliant, whatever that, whatever that means to you. I don't, I would like you to take any job opportunity that makes you happy and makes you feel good. And if that means you get $200 a month less in spousal support, then it does. But you're going to feel great about that new job and that opportunity. What's, how do you feel about it? I completely agree with that. And I think in the end, even financially, if you start with a job opportunity that makes you happy, it will move you in your life further forward, and that will probably bring you more money than trying to get a little bit more spousal support. Agreed. And again, even if it was a cost, it would be well worth paying it because of the sense of personal power. Right. It's a long view, and it's a holistic view. Yeah. You know, so that's my that's my perspective. So we have a few more minutes and I'd like to talk to you a little bit about when you have kind of a reversal of that, when you have, despite the, you know, Prince Charming saved princess culture. And, you know, I think we're moving away from that, but it's a slow process to a place, to a marriage where you've had a a wife who was the higher earner and a husband who was financially more dependent. And what is your experience of working with women in that situation? You know, it's interesting. I have found the women in those positions much more amenable to sharing their income than I have vice versa. That's interesting. What do you think? They have seemed to have taken that responsibility for supporting the family and supporting their children, and they feel like that's their responsibility, at least the clients I've worked with. They haven't fought so hard. I haven't felt like they were shuffling assets or feeling like they needed to hide things. They were forthcoming. I didn't hear all the the anger and the resentment about spousal support and child support that at least I feel like I feel on the other end when it's reversed. Now, I haven't worked with the majority of divorcing people, so I'm speaking from a very small amount of anecdotal evidence. What's your experience been? Well, I find that sometimes you get that, and sometimes you get a situation where the woman has been trying to get the husband to do something different for years and feels ignored and then just everything on her shoulders, right? So not only do I make the money, but I also make the play dates and the, and the doctor's appointments, and I arrange for, you know, a new dishwasher, and I, you know, whatever it is dishwashers are on my mind because we just got a new one. But, you know, (laughs) it's those sorts of things. And the husband in that case will have experienced her as to have been a nag all these years. You just nagged me, nagged me, nagged me, and I did the best I can, and I did a lot more around the house. And in those situations, I think that the wife can feel really, and this can, it goes the other way too. The person who has wanted the other person to be more of a financial partner uh, can mm-hmm. feel a level of resentment that now he, she or he has to share the 401k or, you know, the assets that are hard won under those circumstances. And I think that's a, a difficult situation. And they think there should be some relief from the court, but generally there isn't. I definitely have seen that situation as well. Yeah. 
And then, sure. uh, Deborah Doak, in our, in our last few minutes, when you have people come to you and they are not in court and they have, they're just at the beginning of the divorce process, is there a process of divorcing mediation or collaborative law or litigation or, you know, something that you advise people to think about before they just hire the first lawyer they got a recommendation for? Yes, absolutely. I love to work with them before that process and, and help assess how much do they know about finances, right? So we want to make sure they understand what's on the table to be divided. Are they able to speak up for themselves? You know, are they going to be good in mediation? You know, what kind of attorney? Talk to me about your spouse. How's it going? Have you been able to have conversations at home? Or is this likely to be really litigious? Or are the two of you actually communicating pretty well? Have you had discussions about co-parenting? So I like to kind of feel out what is the landscape like here so that I can help direct them to the process that's likely to be um, least conflicted for them. Yeah, and, and I think what you're saying is that not all process, not all people should go into one direction, that it's really a matter of finding the good match between you and your needs and the, and the professionals you're working with. Is that absolutely. right? Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Yep, litigation right. is for everybody and mediation is not for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Deborah Dope, thank sure. you so much for being our guest on Divorce Dialogue. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, it's been a pleasure to be here. Thanks so much, Catherine.